Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Chris Ria. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be with you on this 4th of July weekend. Hope everyone's enjoying this beautiful weekend so far. We're in our series. We're talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And today, what I want to do is I want to open up to Matthew 5, 21. That's where we're going to start reading today. We're going to jump right into it. Jesus is talking here, and he says this, Matthew 5, 21 through 30. You've heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. Uh Uh-oh. If you call someone an idiot... You are in danger of being before the court. That word idiot, maybe in some other translations, it says raka. It was a derogatory expression meaning empty-headed, insinuating a person's stupidity or inferiority. So if you call anyone an idiot or empty-headed, you're in trouble. Some of you are in trouble. I've seen your social media accounts, okay? (laughs) Big trouble here. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Pretty harsh language here. Let's keep going. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning to be encouraged? So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar Go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. So let's pause just for a second here. What this portion is saying, what this verse is saying, if you've treated someone poorly, if it's your fault, if you've offended someone, Jesus is saying, don't just bring your sacrifice to God. So back in the old covenant, and this is what we have to remember about the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus is on the scene. He's preaching the new kingdom and the new covenant that's about to come, but he hadn't died and rose again yet. So he's still kind of talking with some old covenant principles here to the lost sheep of Israel, trying to prepare them for what's about to happen. So that's what makes interpreting the Sermon on the Mount a little tricky at times. So we're going to do our best to, to talk through that this morning. But back what they did before Jesus died and rose again, if you sinned, you had to make atonement for that sin. You had to sacrifice something at the altar. You had to bring it. And so what Jesus is saying is when you bring that sacrifice to the altar to reconcile with God, to get right with God, leave the sacrifice there. It's a good thing. God wants that sacrifice. He wants to be reconciled to you. But it's important that we reconcile our relationships as well. 
especially when it's our fault. And that's what this passage is talking about. When it's our fault, when we've offended someone, when we've hurt someone, when we've mistreated someone, to go make it right and then come back. That way you're not going back and forth all the time. Save a couple trips. But that's what the reconciliation is about. It's what the New Testament is about. It's about loving God, but it's about loving people. Having a kind heart towards people. Not calling people idiots or empty-headed. And see, the, the Pharisees, they were the religious leaders of the day They knew the letter of the law. They followed the law. They knew the word of God, but they were harsh towards people. And they would bring these great sacrifices. They would stand up and talk about how amazing they were. They would quote scripture off the top of their head. They knew more about the Bible, about the word. Wasn't the Bible, was the law, the Torah, the law of Moses. They knew more about it than anyone else. But it was all here It never made its way here. So they constantly mistreated people. They were harsh. They thought they were better than everyone. And so Jesus is kind of talking to them here. Let's keep going. Verse 25. When you're on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you'll be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you paid the last penny. Once again, Jesus is talking about how we need to settle things not like the world does. We need to settle things quickly. We need to be forgiving. We need to make things right. Don't drag things out. Make it right. He goes on to say in verse 27, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say... Anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if, you, if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And what this is talking about, our eye, obviously Jesus wasn't really saying gouge your eye out or cut your hand off. He was saying the eye, what it does is it represents desire, our desire for something. And the hand represents action, us acting on that desire. Now, if you read this portion of scripture, you go, man, that's some strong, harsh language from our loving Savior. What happened? I thought he was full of love towards us. Well, you know he is. God is love, and Jesus does love us. So when you look at this portion of scripture, you got to keep in mind a few things. Number one, we've got to look at the entire scripture, the entire word of God to interpret scripture. That's a Bible college principle that scripture interprets scripture. So when we look at the whole writings of the New Testament, we know that Jesus wasn't saying that anyone who lusts is going to hell. 
Anyone who's angry with someone is going to hell. That's not really what he was saying. Based on Paul's writings, we know that we're completely forgiven of our sins when we accept Jesus into our lives, when we repent, put our faith and our trust in him. Romans 8, 3 through 4 says this. This is the writings of Paul. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Jesus became the final sacrifice for sin. So what Jesus is saying here is he's really telling you how impossible it is to try to get right with God on your own. That's what the Pharisees were trying to do. They were trying to teach people to get right with God based on following the law and their own righteousness. So if you read before this, uh, Matthew five twenty, right before the portion of scripture I just read, Jesus says this. He says, I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. So our righteousness needs to be better than the righteousness of the Pharisees. And that happens in two ways. One, we put our faith in Christ. We're righteous purely by him. We talked about that last week. And two, we focus on our hearts, getting our hearts right. And Jesus said something very interesting when he started this passage of scripture. He starts out saying, you've heard it said, not you've heard it read. You've heard it said. And what he's addressing here is the fact that his audience at the time did not have access to the manuscripts and the scriptures that the Pharisees and the scribes had access to. They were very expensive to purchase because they were all handwritten manuscripts and usually just the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had one. Each synagogue kind of had one. And also the people that he was talking to, a lot of them were very poor and couldn't even read. So they had to completely rely on what the teachers of the law told them and they just believed it and tried to live up to those standards. And Jesus' conflict is here, conflict is with the religious leaders trying to teach people man-made traditions and laws that they made up in an attempt to get right with God. He's showing them that just following rules in of themselves and legalistic tradition in an attempt at righteousness is not enough. He's showing that the religious leaders of the day put an impossible standard on people to get right with God. So Jesus says, well, if you want to follow the law to get right with God, here it is. It's not just the letter of the law you have to follow. It's the heart of the law. You can't just not murder someone and think you're right with God if you hate people and you have anger in your heart and you're mean and you're judgmental. That's not what that law is about. That's not what God was trying to say. 
So Jesus ups the standard. You want to try to get right with God? Here it is. But Jesus, even though he was talking about this impossible standard that all of us have fallen into, he is saying in this portion of scripture that our heart matters. Our heart matters. The condition of our heart is super important to God. That's an old covenant and a new covenant principle. And the title of this message is How to Be Righteous in God's Sight. And I think it's super important for me to preface this, that last week, if you weren't here, we talked about there's only really one way to be righteous in God's sight, and that's through Christ and Christ alone. He became our righteousness. We, we have failed in attempts to be righteous on our own. We talked about reconciliation with God, how Jesus reconciled us to the Father. And we define reconciliation as this. The end of the estrangement caused by original sin between God and humanity. Just as Adam and Eve brought sin into the world, Jesus took care of that problem, that sin problem that separated us from a holy God. He took care of that on the cross, making it possible for us to actually be righteous in God's sight, not because of our own works, but because of who Christ is in us. That's the important point. However, we do have a response to that. And that's a little bit of what Jesus is saying here. Listen, your heart matters. And the main point today is that the condition of your heart matters more than following the letter of the law. The condition of our hearts matter. Throughout the scripture, we see this. In fact, when God told Samuel to go anoint the next king of Israel, He told Samuel to go to the house of Jesse and and Samuel's walking through the house and he's seeing all of these tall, good-looking, leader-type guys. And he comes across one in verse 16, in chapter 16, verse 6, he says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed who stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward, but the Lord looks at the heart. The heart is crucial. The condition of our hearts is important. You see, the Pharisees only followed the letter of the law. They failed to realize that God was looking past their mind into their heart. Several times in the New Testament, Jesus says things like this to the Pharisees. He says, you worship me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. You're like a whitewashed tomb, beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead man's bones. Jesus is trying to show people, listen, sometimes we're really good at putting on a good front and acting holier than holy and thinking we're righteous, but really, what's going on inside? How's the condition of your heart? 
Matthew 12, 34 says this, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You may have heard it said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when we talk about the heart, what we're referring to is the soul or the mind. It's the fountain and seat of thoughts, passions, desires, appetites, affections, purposes, and endeavors. That's what we're talking about. And that's what Jesus was always concerned with. That's what he wanted us to see. He wanted to say, listen, he wanted to show us. That's why when he saw the woman caught in the act of adultery, he didn't stone her to death, even though they could have. He said, no, I don't condemn you. He's trying to teach us a new way of loving each other, and it starts in our hearts. The heart tells the story. You show me a person that complains a lot, and I'll show you a person with a bitter, hard heart. You show me somebody that criticizes other people, and I'll show you someone with an insecure and spiteful heart. You show me somebody that can't see the goodness of God, and I'll show you somebody with a really tough, bitter, and hurt heart. You show me someone who can't make wise choices, and I'll show you someone with a scarred and broken heart. You show me someone who uses harsh, crude, and vulgar language, and I'll show you someone with an angry heart. And it's really easy to look at everybody else's heart or their actions, but what's tough is examining our own hearts and seeing where we are. And it's important. The condition of our heart is important. So what do we do? What do you do if you find yourself with a hard heart or an angry heart or a spiteful or insecure heart, an unkind heart? a bitter heart. What do you do? Well, I want to give you two points this morning. Our response, how we work on our hearts. Number one is we repent and we humble ourselves. The word of God says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We got to remember we are only righteous because of God and that should bring a level of of humility to our lives. Not a superiority complex that we are better than anyone else on this planet because we're not. We are not better. We just happen to be righteous because of Christ. We need to humble ourselves. Treat people better. Even if they don't believe the same things we believe or think the same way we think, it doesn't give us an excuse to be unkind or harsh. That's what the Pharisees and religious leaders did, and that's what Jesus was trying to get us away from in the new covenant. He wanted us to be, to love people, to be kind. Jesus, you don't see him using harsh language with sinners. People who didn't do everything right, you don't see harsh language from Jesus on those, on those topics. You see it at religious people for treating people poorly who didn't believe what they believed. Church, we got to be careful. We're finding ourselves going back to some of these ways, thinking we're better, holier, 
than others. Looking at the other side of the aisle of people we didn't vote for, thinking we're better, angry, justifying words like idiot, empty head. <laughs> that's, not what, that's not what we're called to do. That's not a good representation of Christ. And I know we justify it because, oh, I'm, I'm just standing up for what's right. I'm just standing up for what's right. That side is so evil, and I'm just standing up for what's right. That's not, I don't see that in Scripture. What I see is be humble, be kind, love people, treat people well. That's what we're talking about here. I don't see, hey, you're supposed to go call out sinner's sin. I, don't, I just don't see it. I see a gospel that tells us that we're to be different, not just on the outside, but in the heart. So this harsh language that comes out, it stems from heart issues we have not dealt with. Anger, bitterness, insecurities. And then all of a sudden, something comes out that offends you and boom, all this stuff just comes out of your mouth. It's because we need to work on what's down there so that we can be kinder, more loving to people because that's what Jesus is calling us to. I'm going to prove it to you here in Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. Listen to this story. Then Jesus told the story to someone who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. That's one amazing sentence. Great confidence in their own righteousness and judged or scorned everyone else for not thinking the way they thought, doing the things they did, living the way they lived. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God that I'm not like the other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. We need a dose, a little dose of repentance and humility, church, right now in this season. Tensions are high. Things are getting crazy. We don't need a fight. We need to be humble. We need to be kind. We need to repent and say, Lord, I thank you for your righteousness. I am a sinner. I messed up. I'm a human who messes up every single day. And I need you. 
would you forgive me? Let's, 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 get, let's worry about us. God, will you soften my heart? Will you work on the condition of my heart? Not will you bring judgment on everyone over there who's living that way. Will you, will you just work on me? Will you help me realize why I'm so bitter and angry and judgmental? Would you help me identify those places in my heart that are broken so that I can be whole? That's what leads me to my second point. When we have heart issues, emotional heart, mind issues, we've got to ask God to heal those broken places. Because if we don't get healing for the broken places of our souls, our mind, our hearts, we continue to make bad choices. We continue to hurt people. We continue to be angry. We continue to be insecure. We continue to be spiteful. That's why we've got to ask for God to heal the broken places of our hearts. Back in the Old Testament, when Samuel anointed David as king, David immediately began to work his way through the ranks. In fact, he found himself in the king's palace He found himself liked by everyone. He found himself enjoying all the luxuries that come with being in the king's palace. Well, then King Saul got jealous of David and tried to kill him. And for seven years, because King Saul had a hard heart, an insecure heart, a bitter heart, he actually tried to hunt down David, his son's best friend, and try to kill him. So David flees, and he's on the run, most scholars believe, seven to eight years. He went from having the best life, family, palace life, to being on the run, living in caves, being feared for, fearing his life. If you read the Psalms, you can see how anxious he was, how depressed he was, how sad. and He was just so broken in this season. It was traumatic. I mean, this guy saw who he respected as a father figure and the king of Israel tried to throw a spear at him, tried to kill him. That's traumatic. And then brought the entire army against David in an attempt to kill him. He feared for his life. That's trauma. And then we see when when David finally does become king, the Bible says at a time where kings go off to war, David stayed back. I've always wondered why. I always wondered why. David's this man of character, integrity. He's a warrior. He took on Goliath. He did not shy away from any battle. He loved battle. Why did he stay back? I personally believe, and I can't prove this to you in Scripture, just my thoughts. I believe he was traumatized. I believe that seven to eight years of wondering if God was actually going to come through for him, if God's promises were true, if his life was going to end, actually took such a toll on his heart and his mind that he was just like, I'm not going to battle right now. I'm not doing it. 
I'm tired of it. I'm tired of running. I don't think he ever dealt with the brokenness that was in his heart from that whole experience. Because then you see this man of God, this man after God's own heart, commits adultery and then has the woman's husband murdered. That's not David. That's not his character. That's not our hero. But see, he never worked on his heart. My opinion, what I think. I don't think he fixed the heart issue. See, we're human beings and we are all capable, all of us, of doing something like that. Maybe not that exact thing, but bad things. And usually, we do those things because something inside is broken and needs to be whole. We don't go around saying, hey, I should go do something really evil or bad today. It happens because our hearts become broken, become angry, become hurt, become scarred, become bitter. And over time, it takes a toll. And if we never address these issues, if we continue to shove it down, all of a sudden it comes out of our mouth, it comes out in our actions, desire in our eye, in our mind, and then action. We take action on it. And it starts in our hearts. This is why Jesus was so concerned about the heart. Because it's, the, the, it's what leads everything in our life. So we got to ask God to heal the broken places of our heart. And I got good news. God wants to do that. He's not going to leave you that way. I've got a friend, and I might have told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. I got a friend when we were 16 years old. All he wanted for his 16th birthday was a Volkswagen Beetle. That's all he wanted. One of those old Volkswagen Beetles. And so for his 16th birthday, his dad bought him this yellow, beat-up, nasty Volkswagen Beetle. But he loved it. He absolutely loved this car. He took it everywhere. He was so proud of it. He was so happy. So thrilled. One day, when he was driving home, he smelled smoke, and he looked in the back, because I think the engines are in the back, and he saw fire coming from the seat. So he pulled the car over, got out of the car, and the car literally caught on fire and then exploded in front of his eyes. He was devastated. I mean, he went through a mini depression over this car. I'm telling you, he loved this car. And he was sad, and I was over his house one day, and all of a sudden, it was a couple weeks after this, when his dad drove into the park, into the driveway with a brand new refurbished baby blue Volkswagen Beetle. I mean, a hundred times nicer than this other one. It was detailed, was completely restored. And he comes driving down this driveway. And my friend, I mean, he just like burst into tears. He just loved, he was so happy. He's a good father, right? 
You see, God wants to do that for us. He wants to take these broken, burnt up places of our soul and our hearts, and he wants to completely restore them for us. But here's the thing, he can't do it by himself. He can't just automatically snap his fingers and bring healing to us. I mean, I'm sure he could, but he chooses not to because he wants us to take that step. He gives us free will and free choice. And he wants us to reach out and say, God, I am broken. Some of us need to realize that. We don't have it all together. We're broken. We're broken humans. Everything we go through in this life takes a toll on us. And the older we get, I'm finding out, the more broken I am. Because event after event after event, trauma after trauma happens. And then all of a sudden, you're like, man, this life is hard. It's tough sometimes. And so it's not a one and done process where God just brings healing and we're done and we're good to go. It's a continual asking of God to heal our hearts in the broken places, to help us have healthy emotions. And so when we take communion today, I want to pull it out right now. It's, it's in the seat in front of you. I want to do so, and I want to focus today on the condition of our hearts. You know, Jesus, he went through such a traumatic thing on his own, like at the cross. The moments leading up to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was anxious. The Bible says his blood, his, his sweat was like blood. He was freaked out. His humanity came through in that moment. He was broken for us. That's what the bread represents today. It represents that Jesus became human. God came down in human form, lived this life with us, experienced trauma, pain, brokenness, just like the rest of us do. And then he did something amazing for humanity. He let his creation break him to the point of death. That's what that bread represents, is his body that was broken, his humanity, his emotions, his heart that was broken for us. So let's take that bread together this morning. And this grape juice here, what it represents is his blood that was shed as the final sacrifice for our sin. It represents true righteousness in its purest form. Jesus, who was broken, who went through all the emotions that we went through, all the pain of this world yet never sinned, went to the cross holy, died and rose from the, the grave. And when we put our faith and trust in him, 
that pure blood of righteousness is transferred to us and God sees us as righteous because he sees Christ in us. That blood justified us in God's eyes. And just as Christ never sinned, God chooses to look at us just as if we never sinned because of Christ. That's a beautiful thing. And our response to the cross, to that grace, to our faith, is to try to reconcile our relationships now. And it starts with our hearts. I want you to think about this. Have you been harsh lately? Have you been judgmental? Have you done some things you're not proud of that you knew you probably shouldn't do? Have you been angry? Have you been bitter? Have you felt insecure? Have you been super judgmental? Have you thought you're better than other people? If the answer is yes, it's probably because of a heart issue that's unresolved that we need to make right. And I'd love to tell you that I'm just going to pray a prayer over you and then your heart is going to be better, 100%. That's not how it works. It starts with the cup. It starts with what Jesus did in believing that he loves you, he's for you, he's forgiven you, he's set you free, and then walking in that righteousness. Saying things like, God, I need you to heal the broken places of my heart. God, where, where did that come from? David said in the scripture, he said, Lord, search my heart. Search me and know me. Pinpoint the areas that are messed up. And then he said, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me and forgive me of the guilt of my sin and search my heart, O God. In this cup is the forgiveness and redemption of all of our poor choices, all of our anger, all of our rage, all of our haughtiness. But I'm gonna ask our church today, to bow your heads with, with prayer and agree in this prayer with me today. Father, humble us. In fact, I'm just going to kneel. God, will you humble us? Father, we're sorry for thinking we're better. We're sorry for anger. We're sorry for our hearts, the condition of our hearts. Lord, I'm going to ask that today would be the first step in the healing process, that you would create in us a new heart. Lord, that you would pinpoint the areas of brokenness from the past in our hearts and you would start to bring it to the surface, God. And you would start to show us how to journal through that and talk through that and get healing through that, Lord, so that we can be loving and kind and show this world a clear picture of who you are, not a jaded one, but a clear picture of your love. 
and how you are for people. The word says you came not to condemn the world, but to save it, Lord. So we don't condemn the world either, Father. Help humble us in a way that we get that and that we can represent you better. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship. You know, every time we meet together here for service on a Sunday morning, we spend some time in preparation. We think through the service. We pray about it. The prayer intercessors, they gather together before the service starts because we know we absolutely need the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God to be here with us if anything is going to benefit us that we do on a Sunday morning. We listen to some scriptures that are hard to digest. We heard Pastor Chris articulate and communicate those scriptures and honestly I have not heard anyone capture the heart of the Sermon of the Mount like Pastor Chris did this morning. This is what Jesus was talking about when he referenced how important it is to not be so concerned about the problems that everybody else has but take a little look at the plank that we have in our own life. And so I think I'm, I'm going to ask you to do something. I don't remember ever doing this before. Uh, we're going to have this message on social media platforms, uh, maybe starting tomorrow. I don't know if it's on today. Uh, it's going to be on YouTube. It's on our website. It's on Facebook. I'm going to encourage you to listen to it again. I don't think I've ever said that before. I'm going to ask you to listen to it again. Because Chris was talking about how important it is to examine our own hearts. And when Jesus instituted the communion service, the very service that we participated in this morning, as soon as he sat down, he said to his disciples, one of you is going to betray me. And immediately, those disciples asked the question, is it me? Not is it this guy, is it me? Jesus was a master at getting us to look at our own hearts. Is it me, Lord? Is it me? With all the issues in our world today and all of the finger pointing, Lord, is it me? We have to be able to do this. This is Christianity, Christianity personified. This is what the Holy Spirit of God is attempting to speak to the church today. More than any other message, friend, and there's a lot going on, we have to take a look at ourselves and line our thinking, our thoughts, our actions, our desires, our behavior with the words of Jesus. That's what's most important today. And so, Father, we thank you for the anointing power of your Holy Spirit that can bring change and transformation to our hearts. It, it, that's the only thing that can happen. Not a good argument, not a good opinion, not even a masterful analysis. Lord, it's the power of the Spirit. It's what we desire more than anything else. And Lord, we ask in these closing moments, change me. Lord, change my heart.
We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for your attention through the service today. Thank you for your willingness to take the next step. All of the comments, all of the feedback with the Sermon on the Mount. Thank you. I, I just feel like we want to take that next step. So as a reward, enjoy your popsicle. Uh, God bless you. Have a good day. Thank you.